0: Welcome to a Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ashken Kazarian. On today's show, we have a very exciting topic for all of you. We're going to talk about self-driving cars. Uh, Definitely an invention I'm most excited about as a 27-year-old who doesn't know how to drive and lives in America. And uh, making his debut on the podcast, Ian Adams. Ian, thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, it's a pleasure, Ash. Glad to be here. And I should say, you're soon to be 28, right? God,
0: now it's on the record. (laughs) And we have Vice President of Government Affairs of a Consumer Technology Association, Jamie Boone. Jamie, thank you for returning to our podcast. Great. Happy to be back talking about my favorite topic. And now you have me and not Evan as your host. (laughs) So we're going to do, obviously, grading afterwards. And I'm going to send it to Evan. Uh, Oh, great. (laughs) That would definitely be fair then. (laughs) All right, so let's start at the beginning of self-driving cars what they are, what's the terminology that people usually use when they talk about it, what are the kind of code words and things like that? Ian, you want to kick us off?
1: Sure, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Well, for a long time, people have dreamt of vehicles that can pilot themselves, can navigate independently of human interaction. Um, What we're talking about is a technology that has the potential to get there, though I think it's easy for people to get ahead of themselves because not every self-driving car is the same. There is a taxonomy, there is a level of gradation for every sort of different technology that one could imagine. So one where a person is able to relax while on the freeway, uh, another one where basically you put in a destination and the car is able to get you there. So when we're talking about this technology, we're not talking about just one thing, we're talking about a whole host of different technologies and different capabilities.
2: Yeah. And I think it's important to add there too, is there are no fully self-driving vehicles on the roads today. Um, there's a lot of testing going on, um, up to, to level four, which is what you see Waymo doing in Arizona, a lot in California happening. Uh, but you cannot go out and buy a self-driving car. Um, you know, right now, Tesla has, has autopilot. That is a, a level two, maybe 2.5, uh, Please don't get in a Tesla and think you're putting on self-driving mode and go to sleep on the highway because I've seen some of those photos and it is terrifying.
0: For me, the benefits of self-driving cars are obvious because I have no skill or time or patience to learn that skill. However, what about people who are not just lazy like me? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, not everybody
2: loves loves to drive. Um, I used to like to drive, but then I moved to a city and now I hate it. Um, I think the, the number one benefit of self-driving vehicles will be the life savings. Um, there are almost 40,000 accidents on our highways, uh, deaths caused by accidents on our highways, and 94% of those are caused by human error. And self-driving technology will remove the, the vast majority of that. You've already seen roadway deaths start to go down because of a lot of the advanced driver assist features that are out there. So this is just going to continue as the technology gets better and, and more people have access to it.
1: So I, I think that that has got to be the number one reason for people to be excited about this technology. But there are a number of others. So I would say that we have a huge number of people within our society, in the United States in particular, but also globally, who are not able to be fully integrated in day-to-day life. They're not able to go to the store. They're not able to go to the doctor's appointments. They're not able to, for whatever reason, get to a job. And those people, if they they have access to self-driving technology are going to be able to uh, more fully integrate with everyday life uh, in a way that those who are able to use vehicles um, currently do. I think that's a huge, huge deal. And it's not only the resurrection of their capital as they re-enter a workforce. It's also something as straightforward as quality of life. These people's lives will improve with the independence associated with self-driving vehicles. So there's every reason to be excited about it
0: people like senior citizens people with disabilities absolutely
1: yep. Yeah.
0: okay so before we move on to the policy and law land uh, deeper do you want to talk about the main counter arguments that people bring um, when it comes to automated vehicles i mean what i've heard is oh they're dangerous the technology is so undeveloped it's not realistic Sure. So I think um, probably the the
2: biggest cause for concern is just um, consumer confusion out there. Um, you know, I mentioned that you you can't get a self driving car out on the road today. Um, consumer education is going to be the most important piece of this, and uh, you know, without that clarity, you will have accidents. You will have problems. Um, we've seen a couple of of accidents already that. Uh, was due to that lack of of consumer understanding. So that's a really, uh, really important piece. But, you know, we're we're at the very beginning of a very long journey in developing this technology, and it's going to take time. Um, And it's going to take, you know, it's going to take testing, and it's going to take... Um, Consumer acceptance and you know control is a hard thing for people to give up. Um, I think you know we all think most of us. I guess you, Ash, since you don't drive, don't think this, but we mostly Ian and I probably both think that we're great drivers. And anytime something bad goes on the on the highway, uh, it's the other guy's fault. Uh, So handing over control to basically a computer um, is something that not a lot of people are, are. immediately
0: going to embrace. So it's going to take some time. Well, let me tell you, I've been in a car with Ian, and that's Lewis Hamilton
1: sitting over there. (laughs) Well, that's nice of you to say. He did come in third this weekend uh, and not first. So still, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right. Consumer acceptance is going to be absolutely a huge obstacle. But I would say in the near term, As the technology is still being developed and worked out, there are meaningful obstacles being presented and meaningful uh, critiques being presented by those who have historically opposed uh, legislative and regulatory developments in the space. They tend to point to safety. And uh, I tend to be of the position that many of their concerns are... um, not not well-founded, just the, the scope of the testing at this point, the limited number of accidents, the relatively early point we are at in the development of these vehicles to claim that these testing platforms and that these vehicles are unsafe on the basis of the experience that we've had thus far and trying to use that as a rationale for not moving forward with the technology, um, it's, it's groundless as far as I'm concerned. And yet... When we're talking to policymakers, that has to be at the very front of our minds because, to tie it back to consumer acceptance, if people do not believe these cars to be safer, which we have every reason to believe that they are, they're not going to get inside them.
0: All right, so let's go into the policy and law a little deeper. What is the current state of regulation that self-driving cars are under? Sure, so I can jump in and then Ian
2: can jump in and add anything I missed. But you know, self-driving cars aren't regulated any different than any other motor vehicle. In the United States, uh, we have what are called federal motor vehicle safety standards, and that is the the regulations on what features, what safety features, what things need to be in a vehicle. Um, anything from you know, where the brake pedal is and how it has to be you know, pressed by a human foot. Um, so all of those regular rules that apply to a regular automobile also apply to self-driving. Um, so the biggest, I would say, hurdle there is a lot of those rules have references to a human driver. Um, you know I mentioned the, the brake pedal. Um, in the regulation, it, it has a stipulation about how the brake pedal has to be pressed by a human foot. Um, and there are, you know, probably, I think it was 140 or so references to a human driver in the fo- federal safety standards that need to be updated to account for new, te- new technologies.
0: Would it mean that by default, does it mean that a um, self driving car has to have definitely have a function of a human driver overriding the car?
1: So I, I don't think so. Um, I, it tends to be. It's my understanding that on the basis of interpretive guidance that has been promulgated by DOT, that a lot of those activities and certainly the overall direction of the vehicle can be uh, overseen by uh, computer by these by these systems. So. I I am of the belief, and I agree with Jamie, that at the federal level, anyway, in the absence of explicit action to the contrary, these vehicles are presumptively legal. And in fact, one of the challenges that we've seen is at the state level, in the effort of trying to give permission, which is unnecessary, some states have uh, inadvertently hampered the development and deployment of self-driving technologies. So that's a long way of saying that... um, We are in a good position, we need greater regulatory certainty, but we should be really cognizant of not taking a step backward.
0: You guys both have very long, uh, good record of working with both state and federal legislators on this issue. Would you mind filling our listeners in on what's the current state of legislation, both on state and federal level? Is anything happening? Are there any bills that might happen? Sure. So I can tackle the the federal
2: um, and and go from there. So last year, um, actually two years ago now, uh, this this issue really started to get attention on Capitol Hill um, just because we've seen so much more action and so much more testing. and there's definitely a need for, for legislation um, to update, update the rules um, that are out there, um, grant exemptions, which basically means if you have a new vehicle design that doesn't meet the current safety standards, DOT can exempt you from that safety standard so that you can put some of these newer, more innovative designs out on the roads. Um, And a a whole host of other things, Um, probably the most important being um, clarifying a little bit more the rules on what states versus the federal government can do on regulating vehicle performance, construction and design. Um, That is a traditional federal rule, but there's definitely uh, and I'm sure Ian can go into this some more. um, We've seen a lot of states that have gone a little bit further than than that, whether, you know, intentionally or, or not. Um, So that kind of clarity is really important. So last year, uh, both the House and the Senate had bills. Um, The House passed their bill, uh, the Self-Drive Act, and the Senate had the AV Start Act, which got through the Commerce Committee, but never made it onto the floor um, for a whole host of of reasons, um, having to do with floor time and the politics um, and we can we can dive back into that issue. Say the
1: trial bar.
2: Yeah, I mean, the I think the biggest hurdle there is the trial bar trying to. I mean, I think you know, very self interested manner, um, you know, trying to, to stop the bill from going through, and they succeeded. Um, we, were, we got really close last year to getting the bill done and then ran out of time at the end of the year. So we are restarting that process again this year, um, working in a bipartisan and bicameral fashion with staff to, to go back through these bills and see, you know, what policies make sense still, um, what we need to change. And we get this process going.
1: And at the state level, uh, there's been a good amount of activity to date just because this is a really high salience, really interesting issue that a lot of administrations and legislatures want to get involved in. You've got a diversity of approaches. You had California come out early and really attempt to promulgate some onerous regulations. Uh, Tech Freedom, R Street, CEI, a number of other organizations worked collaboratively. I was fortunate enough to be a part of that effort and uh, try to stand up to California and prevent the state from enacting regulations that would require the presence of a steering wheel. Ultimately, the regulations did not have that requirement. Uh, to toot our collective horn in that in that uh, instance. But other states have acted. They've acted in a more restrained way. Basically, they're attempting to follow NHTSA's lead uh, and to stick to roles that are traditionally those of the states. So that is to say licensing, registration, liability, traffic, that sort of stuff. That's what they're focusing on regulating because that's what ultimately they're good at. Whereas the federal government, as Jamie points out, is better with design, safety, performance, the hard parts of the vehicle. And When I say hard, I mean the material elements of the vehicle. Um, but states need clarity. States need clarity, and that is one of the big reasons Congress cannot stop. It needs to keep moving forward. It needs to make sure that states and the federal government, they understand their role collectively. And also, federal government has to act just so that we can continue to see these vehicles tested on the road. There is a cap currently on the number of test vehicles that can be deployed, and we need to do something to raise that cap. Otherwise, in, in short order, uh, this technology is going to hit a roadblock, and there's just no reason for that
0: is there anything aside from logic and good arguments that you just presented that's stopping people from seeing the urgency of passing a federal legislation i think because of
2: of that confusion that they you know as long as the vehicle is a traditional design you they're still technically legal Um, That kind of confusion, I think, probably takes away some of that pressure. Um, And because you've seen you see all these vehicles doing testing. So it's seen and we hear and read about it a lot in the news. So you see a lot going on. And I think there's an assumption that, okay, there must not really be a problem because look at all these companies and how much they're doing, Um, which, you know, is great that there's so much going on. But we're going to hit that number real soon. And we're going to hit that roadblock that we're going to, you know, as slow as government
1: moves uh, we're we're going to run out of time. And, and I think a lot of them are proxy arguments. So, Ash, what you what you really kind of cut to there is there's every reason to take steps to make sure that these vehicles are available and yet people continue to oppose it. And so you've got niche interests like the trial bar that want to make sure they get their pound of flesh, continue to have access to courts to resolve a lot of these claims. Um, But it also comes down to the fact that you've got a lot of uncertainty about the future of work in this country. And there is a grave concern in some parts about what automation will do to the workforce. And so even when they're not talking about work issues, they will be marshalling opposition to automation, to self-driving technologies as a proxy for their concern around um, their jobs. Which, you know, fair. That's a conversation that we need to have. But let's have it candidly. Let's talk about the future of work, not, let, not just put up a smokescreen about um, the safety of these vehicles, which just is not where we should be focusing.
0: If, okay, so we're going to do this for policymakers who make the decisions for people who, you know, are just regular voters, for people who are in this space who will maybe want to get engaged in this conversation. We're going to give them a wish list, you guys both have, for what do you want to see in legislation, what you really don't want to see in legislation. So give them your kind of um, good and bad list. Sure, Uh, preemption, Uh, clarification again.
2: Uh, The good list of of the vehicle design, construction, performance. Uh, Number one across the board, top top wish list item for federal legislation.
1: Yeah, I mean, that has to be that has to be at the very top. Um, I think that the other one has got to be a, an increase in the number of exemptions available. Let's, I mean, let's not delay. Let's go to 100,000 right away. Let's see more after that. And let's have a process whereby NHTSA actually has to be responsive so they don't just drag their feet or um, out of an abundance of caution, just deny all of these exemption applications. Like let's make NHTSA accountable for why they're coming to the conclusions that they're coming to. And then I would hasten to add that Uh, The set of rules that we have right now, as Jamie pointed out, these FMVSS, we are using a lot of interpretive guidance to do a lot of the work for these vehicles. We need bespoke regulation for these vehicles to ensure that developers, and uh, tech developers, OEMs, everyone in this field, which has a really long development timeline, so that they are able to move forward with confidence and make the sort of robust investment necessary.
0: Both Tech Freedom and Consumer Technology Association obviously work with policymakers on this. So this question is more for the general audience who are students or just, you know, general public who are interested in technology and its development. What would you want them to take away from this episode? Uh, What do you want them to remember when they think about these issues? I want them to be excited for this technology. Um, I want
2: them to see the potential potential. Um, that, like I I mentioned earlier, the life-saving opportunities, the, um, you know, additional mobility opportunities for seniors and and for those with disabilities um, to to better their quality of life. Um, And to have a clear understanding of where we currently are um, in the technology development, that we are still very early. Um, You cannot get in a, you know, with the exception of, of Waymo in uh, in Arizona, you can't go out and just get in a self-driving car. Um, a Tesla is not a self-driving car. So <laughs> just know that and please don't take a nap in a Tesla if you are the driver.
1: Yeah, it's not a good look. It's never, it's never a good look. Though I, I would say that a lot of those videos you're seeing online of people apparently sleeping a lot of them are staged, right? They're they're trying to drum up bad press and create fear and whatnot. So so I would say be excited, but also while this can be a transformational technology, I would say that in operation, this stuff can be really Dull. And I mean that because as someone who, as Ash points out, likes to drive with some zest for life, um, these are really conservative machines. And so if you are in a self-driving vehicle, it is going to slavishly follow every traffic law. It is going to make sure it has distance to stop. It is going to do everything it can to be really very safe, right? So it's a, it's a paradigm shift in one way, but then when you're actually in the vehicles, I think you'll find that the experience isn't exactly what you're you're expecting.
0: Is there a technology that has entered the market in a such intense and probably innovating way that will change the whole society that you kind of have an analogy to self-driving cars and the wheel? or I don't know. Sure. Yeah. No, I actually think that um, an iPhone or smartphone
2: is a, a good thing to point to. Um, you know, before before iPhone came out, um, we weren't used to having this much access or pay this much attention to our phone that we are now. Um, having the internet at our fingertips, having you know a camera right on your cell phone that actually does a better job than most um, separate cameras. Now, um, it I think was it was definitely startling at first, um, especially the the cell phone cameras. There were a lot of concerns about privacy and um, surveillance and what you know nefarious things could be done with that. And you see this a lot with with new technology, right? Is kind of thinking like oh, it's going to be like Minority Report, like everything possibly scary, like what is the worst case scenario you could possibly think of? Um, And you just—we have to be careful to not um, just automatically go to there and then regulate to that or legislate to that, um, because it's not how you get good policy. And it's also you're just thinking things that probably are not even close to being a real concern. Now today, you know, you would be hard pressed to find someone without an iPhone or a smartphone. I have two in my purse. Like, there's no need for me to have two phones. But, um, and I am not the only person, especially in D.C., to have two phones. So, hopefully, someday, maybe I'll have two self-driving cars.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know that I have a, a, a good a good example off the top. I of course would expect uh, friends at CTA to to know off the top, but I think that it's it's something where when we think about how to regulate, we need to understand that just because there is a large potential impact on society, that precaution is not necessarily the way forward, particularly when the promise of a technology is so great. And policymakers and the audience at large needs to keep that in mind, that the stories being told around this technology are as speculative as the promise about the technology Um, and therefore taking steps to uh, stifle or to otherwise retard the development of self-driving cars is premature and not well-grounded in where these vehicles are at at the moment.
0: That is a great kind of covering of a topic by Dynamic Duo that I'm sure I'm going to have back to give us updates. But before we wrap up, Jamie. Um, Now that we have a Women in Tech segment on this show, um, I was wondering if you can share with our listeners the career journey that you had and how you ended up doing tech. And um, what's your favorite thing about being in tech?
2: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I kind of... Stumbled, stumbled into to tech. Um, it wasn't it wasn't my original plan, uh, which I think probably happens a, happens a lot. 80% of people say that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I started off um, on Capitol Hill, uh, working for my hometown member of Congress. I did an internship down here in, in the DC office when I was in college and just fell in love with it, fell in love with policymaking. Um, and all of the excitement um, and really feeling in the know um, so stayed in touch, and as soon as I graduated, I came back, uh, took a job, an entry level job, um, for that same member of Congress, and was able to advance through through his office. Um, we spent almost eight years doing uh, public policy um, and, and legislation, and mostly was focused on energy and healthcare and transportation. Nothing really specific to tech. Um, but then, uh, you know, we've seen the last couple of years I, w- I was on the Hill. We were starting to see um, Carnegie Mellon University and Google and, some, and Uber and some of these early entrants start to do this thing called self-driving vehicles. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I want to I work somewhere. That does something in that, like how cool is that? Um, and I've, you know, found my way to to the Consumer Technology Association, where I've been for um, coming up on five years, um, have been able to to move up within uh, the organization and really take a leadership role on on this uh, particular area of technology with transportation, with drones, and with self driving vehicles.
0: And it's super fun and so exciting, and I absolutely love it. Now that I think of it, CTA has I've met. I, I don't want to go on record and say this, but I've met more women who work at CTA at high level positions than men. Yeah, two thirds of our staff are actually women. Oh, OK. You have the hard numbers. Yep, yeah,
2: absolutely. And our senior leadership, I think it's even, you know, it's even more than that. Um, you know, our head of of CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, uh, Karen chopka um, is fabulous. We have, um, you know, we have great senior leadership and they really, um, I think, set the bar high and uh, are great mentors. Um, you know, my boss, Tiffany Moore, is Senior Vice President um, of Political Affairs and Industry Affairs and doing a ton of work on, on um, U.S. jobs and what the future of work looks like. Um, a lot on on diversity in tech, which is a really important issue for us. And you know, I'm excited to be at a place that prioritizes that, and you know, makes sure that we're pushing you know our own staff out. We're we're giving opportunities to um, you know to diverse uh, panelists and things like that that we you know see the importance for. So it's really exciting.
0: And for our listeners to put two and two together, you mentioned CES. That's a huge consumer show where all the cool new technology is shown. I believe Kanye West was there recently. Yes, he came out last year. We always have lots of, lots of celebrities come and year? check it out. Uh,
2: they don't usually give us advance notice. I think probably so we don't stake them out and stock them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the tech at CES is always so cool. Um, so CTA owns and produces the show. Um, always in Las Vegas. People always ask us if you know we'll ever move the show. Um, th- right now, there's nowhere else that's big enough to hold us. Um, we're up to almost three million square feet for the show, um, and 180,000 people that come in. So uh, there just aren't any other cities with enough space and enough hotel rooms. So <laughs> Vegas, it is, and Vegas has been a great, great home for the show. Um, and we have we have a ton of vehicle tech. Um, even more, this it gets bigger every year. So it's just super, super exciting.
0: That is exciting. Maybe we can do an episode on the road from CES. Ooh, that would be and awesome. Report on that. So I love it. I'm committing to it on air. Great. Thanks. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, Please come back, and we're going to make sure to keep our listeners updated. Jamie, is there a a website you want to refer our listeners to? Sure. You can just find us at cta.tech. Awesome. And Ian and I are both at techfreedom.org. Thank you guys for joining, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Please leave us a review, because not only family and friends should leave us a review. Thank you. (laughs) Have a good one.